Glasgowias, this is Sam Harris reading list, The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt, published 2012. The subtitle is Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion. Some background, this one is really about human morality and how it relates to politics and religion from a social psychology perspective. And I liked a lot of things about this, and there were other things that were just infuriating about it. I really think that I'm not a scholar in this area, so I, I'm certainly way behind, but there's only so much you can get, and there's a lot of vagueness, and a lot of the terms, it seems, leaves a lot to, leave a lot to be desired when it comes to their definitions, or the way they used, or how much they actually do to progress a conversation, or really understand the topic at hand. So I have, just by way of a little bit of commentary, there's an article in the New York Times, it was written by William Salatin, it's called Why Won't They Listen? He says it seeks to, it seeks to enrich liberalism, quote, if you want to persuade others, you have to appeal to their sentiments, and quote. Quote, politics isn't just about manipulating people who disagree with you. It's about learning from them, end quote. And another one, workers who vote Republican aren't fools. They're voting for their moral interests. He says it's mostly told from a perspective of advice for liberal electoral gains, and the goal is to make society and government fit human nature. And one of the later things that he says in kind of summation, the writer of the article says, but to whom is hate directing his advice? If intuitions are unreflective and if reason is self-serving, then what part of us does he expect to regulate and orchestrate these these faculties end quote and that's a that's a good question that's one of the things that definitely was rattling around my brain as we were getting through this although the writer of the times piece was certainly had a political slant i wish we could get over these slants just period just get over it have conversations about specific topics instead of being dogmatically stuck in an ideology and determining from that basis okay into the book itself here are some of the primary concepts that Haidt addresses as he's going through. People are fundamentally intuitive, not rational. He references Hume, which is one of my favorite people of all time, who says reason was not reason was fit only to be the slave of the passions. And one of the biggest concepts is the rider on the elephant. So the concept is that the the rational part of a person is just the rider on an elephant. That is the intuitions that's jutting one way or another. You have very little control over which way the elephant is going. He brings up some very interesting hypos. One of them he talks about he's trying to understand the moral reasoning of people. So in the study he would bring up these hypos that are supposed to get people to adjudicate moral questions that aren't easy and that they don't have a clear reason why they should be immoral but he suspects that intuitively they will be deemed as such so the hypos one of them was sex with a dead chicken can you have sex with a dead chicken so he'd ask this and then try to get people to explain why it's wrong if they say that people shouldn't do that sex with your sister if you're using protection if your dog dies then eating it so again, you can imagine the people and a lot of the explanations that were given, they just try to rationalize these positions. They intuitively feel like, well, this is wrong. I don't know why, but this is wrong. So then they attempt to rationalize those positions. And he brings up, a, I think, a very, probably the most persuasive aspect of the book and one of the important ones going forward was his concept of the moral foundations and how important they are to understanding why people do what they do and choose what they choose. And one of the big concepts to keep in mind is that there's a distinction between what is and what should should be and most of this is just saying what is which can be occasionally annoying because he seems to bleed into or stray into what should be without being very clear or deliberate about it there's some sloppy overlap but anyway the moral foundations there's six of them first one care harm second liberty oppression third fairness cheating fourth loyalty betrayal 
fifth, authority subversion, and sixth, sanctity degradation. Again, these are different categories that are foundation foundational morally. So there are things that people take into consideration whenever they're considering a moral question. And they can be hierarchical, so people can think that some of the moral foundations are more important than other ones. And that's kind of the, that mathematics is how people determine who they're going to support, what ideas they're going to support, what propositions they're going to levy, and how they're going to rationalize whatever positions that they end up taking. He makes an analogy to food. He says that people have moral taste buds, so if you have a, a little too much sanctity, you know, you can get a little less sanctity and it's going to taste better to you. But you really love the the meaty, charred, fat taste of fairness, you know, so that's going to fit better in your, your moral analysis. He talks about other cultures, and this is one of those, I mean, it's so in vogue to say it, but he goes to, I think he went to India, and I read like three books after this. Like, I took all my notes and stuff, but I read Predictably Irrational and Against Empathy by Paul Bloom. Predictably Irrational by Dan Ariely, and something else I read too, uh, The Big Sort I'm into, there, there were several, so I'm, I don't know if I'm mixing some of these up, but this one I think he goes to India, and he's observing the other cultures and, and the way that they function, and it's that ultra-moral relativism that's applied that just says that, no, their culture is just as good as ours, and it's just different, and I get so unbelievably tired of that. It's such sloppy, lazy thinking, but it is that postmodernist. it seems like we We've arrived at something kind of thinking, which, you know, was big in my undergrad. <laughs> I was an undergrad, I was like, oh my gosh, nothing's anything and all that. It's not helpful, it's incredibly obvious, and it doesn't get you anywhere. So, I mean, that's the whole point is to make assessments, create some kind of a, a structure. Ultimately, you hit philosophical bedrock with the shovel of stupid question. Ultimately, no, you don't choose any one value over any other one for an objective reason. But that's the point of the analysis. It's the, it's the cascading effect of I've chosen a value, now I figure out what's best. Like, if two different cultures have a value of human liberty or human life or something like that, they can do it in different ways and one can be worse than the other <laughs> at doing that thing. So if they have completely different values, then that's that's one thing. If they have a hierarchy of values, then different subsidiary values can be detrimental to the higher value that we do share, like human life. But it's just, it's annoying. This is something, you can be critical of other cultures and say how ridiculous they are for being oppressive or something like that. And you can put it in the proper context that you're understanding, yes, I understand understand that nothing's anything <laughs> philosophies. We're smoking weed in, in undergrad. I get it, but we could still have real conversations about this stuff. So anyway, he talks about how conservatives use more of the moral foundations in a lot of areas when they're making arguments. So a, a conservative might make an argument and use sanctity, liberty, loyalty, authority, and care when they're making their argument, which is more likely to appeal to more people than like a Democrat who just focuses on care and fairness. And I mean, those grouping those things to get those moral foundations together under those two political, American political groups anyway, definitely seems apt to me. It seems to happen a lot actually. And you, when you think about a position taken like by the major party on a given political issue, you can see kind of the thinness in a democratic argument for it where they will focus on care and fairness. And whereas a conservative will focus on a many more and, and they don't necessarily do this deliberately, but it's something that tends to happen. He references norms like uh, religion, family values, and parochial altruism. He talks about uh, religion and family values and how they contribute to social cohesion and parochial altruism. He was specifically talking about that as people supporting people of their own groups. And 
I can't remember all the details on that, but those were the important ideas that came out of it. So switching from the contents of the book to my analysis of the book, I know I threw some a little bit in there, seasoned it a bit with some <laughs> editorializing, but whatever. Analysis. I definitely agree with the concept of the writer on the elephant. I think it's it'd be pretty bold to reject the evidence on that, although a lot of it is awfully vague. But I think most of the evidence supports the fact that it's primarily intuitive and that reasoning is a hanger-on that you can't really do much with that. But I really think, and this is the frustrating thing, is that there has to be a concept that relates those things to complexity and other aspects of, of the real world or things that we might be trying to understand or surmise. Because this is a very limited way to look at it. It's just, yes, of course, we are primarily intuitive and have a lot of struggle. We struggle a lot with trying to figure things out rationally, whatever that would mean. You know, there's the internal rational process of you trying to figure something out using your neocortex and then there's the external these things are objectively demonstrable by this method but i really think there has to be a concept that needs to be attached to the idea of whether we're being intuitive or rational i think there has to be a concept of complexity that has to be attached to it where it scales with complexity and there's just a, the, after reading the book there's definitely just a big question of how do you cultivate the right intuitions does that matter is that even a question on the radar because there are certain things even if we want to say that one intuition is better than another intuition, there should be something that we can evaluate to some degree, even if it's just fractionally better. on the basis of something. We need to be able to evaluate how we do that. Obviously, some people have intuitions that it's perfectly fine to murder people, and others have intuitions that it's not. So how do we cultivate that difference? And obviously, in in our society, then it's just biological inclinations and disinclinations that intuitively lead to a greater preponderance of people who think that murder is bad versus not. Is that all we do? <laughs> it's just elephants running into elephants? So the question was, and I had a discussion about this book, and I asked... Is there anywhere where the writer, where hate thinks that the writer has a role and can figure this stuff out? And there's just nothing that anybody could come up with. So if it's just a simple math question, you know, is that, okay, writer has the reins then and he can tug intuitions away from it. You know, say it's uh, your enemy is saying that the answer to this math problem is, you know, everybody you absolutely hate and all the circumstances are pushing your intuitions in one way, but the math problem is right there in front of your face. So your writer can say, no, no, sorry, no, elephant, back to the left, come on that's incorrect the correct answer is this is that even on the horizon is that anywhere out there can you pierce through and and see that anywhere so there's no rigorous spectrum of rider elephant interaction where you can try to understand the way that these things the tension between them and how they work together it has i mean it goes through all these discussions about better ways like i said this gets into the should it discusses better ways to influence people's elephants so using of more moral foundations will do that but it has little interest in why one should, given the basis for anybody's propositions. Why should any one elephant (laughs) influence another elephant? Why should it matter? Why should I be trying to influence other people's elephants? This is kind of a weird way to talk about it. (laughs) And then later, when he's talking about religions and family values, he curiously kind of lauds the mores that are positive, you know, like improvement of social cohesion and the things that result from that, the positive things that result from that, like charity or, or being supportive within the group or whatever else. But he kind of skirts past all the 
horrible things that social cohesion facilitates, all the most horrible things that people can do, just amplifies them when people are socially cohesive and, and uses those things for really bad behavior, really bad collective behavior. And much of it is just frustratingly vague, and it obviously could be an artifact of writing pop social psychology as opposed to just putting out the results of the research, but it's still, you wish it was trying to get somewhere and really trying to establish something effectively. So some, some thoughts about it is just the many of the studies were vague and that gets really frustrating. I don't know if this is the only thing we can do with psychology, but it always, it seems like this is where the common denominator is. It references the implicit assessment test, which is exhaustively referenced by everybody in the world, even though the proprietors of that test, the people who did it in the first place, they explicitly say, and have said more recently, especially, I just read an article about it, where they were really concerned with how far reaching people took that test and said that this is what it means when they don't know that that's what it means. They don't have a clue that that's what it means. It's been strongly undermined recently. I know I've read, I've read several articles recently and I heard Sam Harris talking about it with, who's he talking to, Daniel Kahneman? But they were talking about how a lot of these studies that are kind of tent poles in social psychology have, have not been replicable recently. And there were a lot of surveys, you know, I hate surveys because there are so many layers upon layers of built-in meanings to any given word and the way people respond to them. It's often just like a checkbox or something like that. You have no idea about the circumstances under which they're actually making a decision in this particular survey at that particular time. So it's really questionable. It's also in an artificial context. It's really questionable whether they have much of import at all. And there are the studies where they have like brain X lights up, which is traditionally associated with, you know, emotion or whatever. It seems like a really crude tool to try to figure these things out. And I didn't read the original sources of all these studies, so they could be incredibly rigorous and, and well put together and, and make perfect sense not and just allay every fear that I have about these kinds of tests so I, I definitely have to put that out there but brain region x lights up and that's supposed to mean a whole lot then it has a bunch of the games and the games really bother me too because it's mostly college students and it's mostly it's a really artificial context and usually it doesn't have the kind of proportionate stakes that are necessary as well as all the other things that would be involved in people making those decisions you know when you're in a game where you're like oh I can win 50 cents for doing this or I get seven dollars for negotiating with my partner or something like that that just like does the, do those stakes really translate into real world decisions or real world decision making I'm sure there are mechanisms for trying to make those things more tantamount but who knows I don't think that the it's properly proportionate to really be, really be able to determine big questions on these bases. And a lot of the terms, I think we really have to be more rigorous when it comes to defining terms and understanding how much is packaged in. And that's not... <laughs> It's not like a postmodernist kind of Lacanian perspective. I'm not trying necessarily to say like master signifier, but there are a whole lot of things built into any given term for any given person. So it's really important to rein in whatever kind of crazy stuff they might import into any given word. And when you're using big words that can mean a whole lot of things, then it's all the more important. So my takeaways, love the rider elephant analogy. I think that's great. I don't think it gets us much, <laughs> much of anywhere, but.
but it's still, I mean, we still have to puzzle out what the hell it means to be, for a human being in their brain to be reasoning something out versus uh, just intuitively experiencing something. Those concepts alone are absolutely massive and not much understood beyond just some kind of a an intuitive sense of what they actually mean when somebody says them, you or somebody else says them to you. So this primarily feels more of a, it's meant for the entertainment value <laughs> rather than to facilitate like substantive progress in the area. I certainly recommend it. I think that it would get kind of my highest recommendation when it comes to nonfiction, even though I have a whole host of problems with it. But that's Jonathan Haidt. That's The Righteous Mind. It's become kind of a religious tome of moderate liberals nowadays, but I think it has a lot to contribute. It just doesn't contribute much, if that makes sense, <laughs> like proportionately. It doesn't do a whole lot, but... The most important concept that should come out of it is that we should be have incredible humility when it comes to any of our propositions, that most likely we're just rationalizing a position that we already had. We didn't reason our way into a position. And if everybody could just get that one thing, then I would be absolutely ecstatic. I think it would have done its job, and I will put it right up there next to whichever books I hold to be deified. <laughs> so much thanks to Jonathan Haidt, and much thanks to your listening. All right, thanks. Bye.